Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, National Poetry Month continues and we'll hear from some poets in their own words. Compressed, brilliant dormancy, waiting on that different wind that wakens the primordial, ushering all to be reborn. Plus, a homeschooled teen writer combines her love of poetry in a picture book that teaches children about some influential women poets. Reading a poem is a bit like standing in front of a painting. There's always something to interpret there. And a popular live poetry experience returns to Phoenix. In these trying times, we've been so polarized lately. So we need to make sure we feel safe. And that's where the term home base came from, right? It's like when they just play freeze tag and hit, and you're running, but when you get your hand on home base, you're safe. But first, Daisy Pitkin is an award-winning writer who has spent over 20 years as a community and labor organizer. Pitkin's new book, called On the Line, takes readers inside a bold five-year campaign to bring a union to dangerous industrial laundry factories in Phoenix. I moved to Tucson in 2003. I had been living in Washington, D.C. and left D.C. after sort of a strange set of things happened there. There was a sniper in D.C. and anthrax being sent around in the mail and 9-11 happened and suddenly D.C. did not feel like a place where I wanted to live. And I knew that there were some really good organizers and activists in Tucson doing work around the border. And so I wanted to move to Tucson and, and be part of that. Um, so I was living in Tucson before I started working for Unite, but soon after arriving in Tucson, I, I got a job as an organizer with Unite as they were undertaking this big project in Phoenix to see if they could organize industrial laundries from nearly 0% union density to having it become a majority union industry so that we could really raise standards. Two things. I wonder if you could tell me what Unite is and what were the working conditions like at the time when you started organizing? Unite was an offshoot of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, and it was a small kind of scrappy organizing union that was interested in organizing industrial laundries all across the country. And they were interested in organizing industrial laundries mainly because the conditions in those factories were really difficult. You know, industrial laundries, I think are, it's an industry that goes largely unnoticed or it can be an invisible sort of labor. So I think they go largely unseen. And inside factories, hundreds of workers work to launder linens from hospitals, hotels, and restaurants, um, and clinics, other kinds of things like that. So they work on sort of heavy machinery. They're dealing with heavily soiled, especially in hospital laundries, as in Alma's, um, heavily soiled linens coming from, you know, surgical centers Uh, and hospitals where people have been very ill, you can imagine the kinds of things that they uncover in sheets and hospital gowns coming down the conveyor belts in these big factories. 
and they work on big, heavy machinery that's hot, that gets jammed, that they need to unjam, that can burn them. Sometimes they get stuck with syringes and surgical tools. It can be a really dangerous place to work. Did you develop this knowledge by talking with Alma? And is that why you wanted to make Alma the center focus of this book on the line? I was recruited to work for Unite by an organizing director who sort of described the industry to me. And I sort of felt passionately that this was an industry that it was important to organize. I knew a bit about the working conditions when I became an organizer, but it was really in the first conversation that I had with Alma where I learned a lot more in detail about what goes on in an industrial laundry. I visited her in her home and was sitting on her couch and she kind of stood up in the room and sort of mimicked the the motions of work in the industrial laundry. She works in a department called soil sort, where the soiled linen comes in from hospitals and gets dumped onto a big conveyor belt, goes down the conveyor belt, and workers stand in a line on one side of the conveyor and very quickly have to pick up incredibly soiled linen and throw it into bins on the other side of this conveyor belt. So Alma in her house was sort of explaining this to me, um, and that's really how I came to understand more about the industry from her. I focused the book on Alma mostly because she's one of the most courageous worker leaders I've ever known, and also because we formed a close bond through the years of organizing that it took to unionize the industry in Phoenix. I mean, we spent hours and hours together doing the kind of the the daily grind work that organizing takes. Um, And we became really close friends. And I wanted to write the book to sort of honor the work that she and her coworkers did to organize that industry. Well, and it should be pointed out that Alma is also an immigrant worker. It's tough to get a union going with folks who have lived in the United States their entire lives and have worked at a certain job their entire lives. But I, I would imagine it must be doubly, if not triply difficult for an immigrant worker to find that courage, right? That was one of the things that really drew me to, to this experiment, this organizing experiment that Unite was going to undertake in Phoenix. Because, you know, at the time in the early 2000s, Phoenix was a a red city in a red state. I think that's changing a bit now, but that was certainly the case at that time. Um, I mean, Sheriff Joe Arpaio was um, kind of running the city with his posse, literally driving around, making the city very unwelcoming to immigrants. And to go into an industry where the workers are mostly women, mostly immigrants, and organize it was, it was sort of an underdog fight, right? Right. Um, I think those workers were incredibly courageous. And I think that it takes a lot of courage to unionize any kind of workplace where your employer is really resisting unionization, especially one that resisted it as much as Alma's employer did. One of the things that I'm curious about is what you might hope people who read this book could learn in 2022. I mean, there are a few unions left in America, a country which used to have large amounts of labor force unionized. Yeah, I hope that the book will 
find its way into the hands of readers who might not otherwise pick up a book about labor, because it's a really, I think, intimate portrait of the American labor movement. And it's a, it's a humanizing story about what it takes to form a union today through broken, loopholed labor law. And I hope that the book will help readers make sense of why it's so difficult to organize a union. Even when a strong majority of workers in a workplace want to unionize, it's still very difficult. Well, Daisy, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking about your new book. It's called On the Line, A Story of Class, Solidarity, and Two Women's Epic Fight to Build a Union. Daisy Pitkin, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed talking with you. You can find out a bit more about Daisy Pitkin and On the Line by visiting our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up a collection of voices who read poems in their own words as we celebrate National Poetry Month. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You have your favorites. Favorite online store, favorite park to take the kids or the dog. It's the season to get out of the house. And KJZZ is your favorite news station. Stay connected to important updates and entertainment, the number one news station in the Valley and your source for all your favorites. Become a member today at KJZZ.org. Did you know two out of every three NPR listeners prefer to purchase products and services from public radio sponsors? You can see the benefits of becoming a KJZZ corporate sponsor at sponsor.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. It's April, and someone some time ago designated the month as National Poetry Month, so we're running with that again. Returning guest Austin Davis is a senior at Arizona State University, a homeless advocate and poet who recently released his new collection of poems, Lotus and the Apocalypse. Here's Davis reading a poem called Lotus and the Meteors as part of this segment we're calling In Their Own Words. This book deals heavily with my experiences during the first year of the pandemic, struggling with OCD and depression. This is a poem from Lotus and the Apocalypse, and it's called Lotus and the Meteors. Meteors are falling, but I don't think meteors are really falling. Fish swim through the sky, white bones licked clean drop slow, like clouds that have seen some real bad stuff and have hardened over time. Our home has vanished from the neighborhood. All that's left is a brick patio with lawn chairs, a few cigarette butts beside ashes. There's probably a little moss green house with teddy bear drapes pulled across the windows posted up on Mars. The TV is still on. The dog is peeing all over the carpet. And I'm sorry, but I left the stove on on purpose. Next up, Marcus Christensen graduated from ASU in 2013 with degrees in philosophy and creative writing and reads Escalante, Utah. Escalante, Utah. River winding, mushrooms growing skyward from their rain-sodden beds. Everything as wholesome as the slaughter of the elk. Tonight's dinner, elk tenderloin basted in butter, garlic, and pine needles with sautéed mushrooms, mashed potatoes, and pan sauce. 
Later, we're in a temple of Aspen that quakes in cold light that drapes down upon us from this great net of stars. Where the river is unwound to its thankful end, the beaver dams your mind. Everything clasped in the mountain lion's call to his queen across the dark canyon of fur. Tonight's sacrament, the unkindness of your darling mind. Ingredients and methodology. One, a shoebox of Polaroids, one copy of Leaves of Grass, and two found arrowheads seared in your general apathy. Two, deglaze with the spirit of your longing for love. Three, add a few found gnarled wings of bat, three to four pounds of your work week, a bottle of wine, and a splash of river water. Four, let simmer until fragrant with freedom and tender with the sound of thunder. Enjoy in the rain with friends or alone. Remember, you are never truly alone. Then for our third offering in this segment, Hannah Peterson is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. She currently lives in Phoenix and in her free time enjoys traveling, being immersed in the arts, and writing poems like this one. Never mind. They say sometimes it's impossible to put a feeling into words. So cliche, no? But sometimes there, just there, a ghost of an image plays hide and seek, vanishing among the mitochondria and oligodendrocytes, half of the time feeling like a sound and the other half sounding like a shape twisting and converging in flashes like a mirror as the ticking of seconds pass like hours, free-falling toward pavement. A wheel is missing a spoke, but everyone pretends it's not. Translucent color almost emerges, a mixture of gray and silver and mist, blacking everything else out, and for just a brief moment, experience action and reaction click into place. The geometry of life peers out and opens its mouth, while dark street lamplit eyes tease what ifs. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Follow the rules and you'll get the answer, right? Yes, Horatio, this does indeed bode some strange eruption and the rest is silence. The ghost has gone, leaving microscopic imprints on the surface as it disappears. Tiny tracks that forge an abyss in the mind. Don't stare back, creating a map of unconscious pictures that we can't tell are trespassing. A photo album unseen, a moment that was never really here. A green light fading away somewhere across the harbor. Not with a bang, but a whimper. As we say, never mind, it's just a feeling. Finally, poet and artist Ash Hook was a finalist for the 2021 New Mexico-Arizona Book Awards. Hook closes out this segment with a poem entitled Mean Season from the work 50 for 50, which consists of 50 poems and illustrations. Mean Season this cold sinks haughty teeth into the meat of languidity, stinging the comfort of the spiritless, not dead, unless stagnance's thickness becomes the paradigm of those just not living, immovable. A frozen exhale following the bite that sends those barely stirring into a hibernating in-betweenness, 
settling into bone and soul without chance of egress, bodies tightening around the impossible hidden budding future. A shiver oracles the season's long-drawn savagery, a glacial gale filling a hollowness, hunger beneath scarcity, sinking into the aloneness that comes on its tail, whipping and tangling empty bird nest hair, frosting twig and heartstring, numbing all growing into still silence. The raven croaks, muffled into sepia surrealness at the monochromatic sun, an anemic disk too distant to warm the smallest hope, fluttering in scanty ribs, edged in icy bitterness, sharp and stark. Far below, deafness unnoticed, time's last remnants rot, sloughing into the smallest bits, dissolving into fecund anonymity becoming sedimentary, compressed, brilliant dormancy, waiting on that different wind that wakens the primordial, ushering all to be reborn. Thanks so much to poets Austin Davis, Marcus Christensen, Hannah Peterson, and Ash Hook for their work and contributions to this episode. Coming up, a recent publication by an area homeschooled team teaches children about women poets as part of National Poetry Month. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. KJZZ offers original podcasts, and if you're looking for lively conversation and analysis of the week's news, check out the Friday Newscap podcast, or dive into the challenges of homelessness in Phoenix in the Unsheltered podcast. Find all of our podcasts from Here Arizona, The Show, and KJZZ at iTunes, Spotify, and at podcasts.kjzz.org. Every day, you listen to KJZZ for fact-based news, and here's a way to help ensure that the news will stay on the air. When you buy a new car, donate your old one to KJZZ. We'll take care of the details. More information at cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. In January, Camille Campbell released her poems, Women Poets Who Changed the World. The paperback is designed to introduce poetry and inspire readers ages 6 to 10 to awaken their inner poet. Campbell is a homeschooled teen and winner of the Moonbeam Award and developed a love of writing at a young age. Before I started writing poetry, I had already fallen in love with writing, particularly fantasy short stories. Ever since I was in first grade, I would write little books and share them with my classmates and seeing how they reacted to my stories and how it excited them inspired me to continue writing so I could share that excitement and joy for um, books. Um, And one day I had a writing assignment where I wrote a poem in the shape of a fish and I was very proud of this concrete poem and I want to continue writing poetry. So doing that one little simple activity sparked my entire love of poetry. And for inspiration, poets who I've really admired, of course, all the ones I featured in the book, particularly Maya Angelou, because her poems are very 
honest, powerful, and easy to understand, but also very beautiful. And also Joy Harjo is a big inspiration to me. I love the way she recites her poetry, aside from what she writes. Do you have much experience performing your poetry in front of an audience or maybe on teleconferencing software like we're using now? Not too much experience doing that, but I think the process of writing poetry has definitely um, increased my skills in the area because when I write poetry, I like to read it out loud. And I also like to read my books out loud. It helps a lot with editing. So not public speaking, but more just for myself. What do you like about poetry? Because you said you started out writing with an interest in fantasy fiction. Poetry can influence the way I describe things in fiction, like um, fantasy books. I think using vivid words and invoking all senses really helps with my um, fiction writing as well for prose. But what I really love about poetry is that it can be written in a short amount of time. So if you're inspired, it can really just flow out of you. And also poems are kind of like abstract paintings. And as an artist, I like that element to them. Because when you write a poem, there aren't always rules imposed on you, especially if it's free verse. Um, It's subjective, but it's also thought-provoking. And reading a poem is a bit like standing in front of a painting. And depending on the poet, you could be standing in front of a Van Gogh, a Monet, maybe even a Pollock but there's always something to interpret there. So that's why I think poetry is a very intriguing form of writing. That's very well said. And Camille, you have an activity site featuring material from some leading writers. You just mentioned Maya Angelou a bit ago. Let's talk about how you came up with the idea and what you hope it might achieve. After I saw Amanda Gorman's beautiful inauguration poem, The Hill We Climb, I felt inspired to look into other women poets. And um, then the idea hit me, what about a book about women poets? The activities section actually came much later when I began doing the graphic design for the book. I realized that I also wanted to inspire a generation of upcoming poets and meld poetry activities and women's history together. And It makes me very happy when I get pictures sent to me of readers um, doing the activities in the book and creating their own poetry portfolio inspired by these women. And whether they're doing the confidence building I am poem or a shape poem like I did that many years ago, I love to see how they're proud of themselves doing those poems. And one third grade teacher, wrote to me and said that the activities were very inspiring and the kids were also inspired that I wrote books as a teenager and were um, passionate to also write, um, you know, hoping to one day do the same. So that means a lot to me and being able to inspire them through doing activities is a big reason why I created it. The title of the book is Her Poems, Women Poets Who Changed the World. And I started looking into other women poets and uh, each one I felt had such an interesting story and a distinct style. So I wrote about each poet, for example, Mary Oliver wrote very beautiful nature poetry. 
and um, Joy Harjo has some incredible poems about her culture. And I felt like each one has something different to teach children. So um, that's how I came up with the idea of writing another women's history book in the vein of books like um, She Persisted, for example, but with the twist of activities. So they could follow in the lead of inspiring women poets. Do you think you will take that love of inspiration on? Because we should say that you are a teenager. In fact, uh, we needed to get your parent to sign a release form to be on this show because you're a minor. Do you plan uh, to go on to higher education? And do you think that you might teach someday? Because I think you have a lot to say, Camille. Oh, thank you so much. Um, That means the world to hear that from you. Yes, I love doing school visits. Um, I'm planning to do more school visits where I teach kids a bit about writing and just following their passions. So teaching is definitely something interesting for me. And I do plan to pursue college. And who knows, maybe I will be able to do some kind of teaching, especially in the creative writing area. I think that that's a wonderful way to impact people. And I'm so grateful for the teachers who have brought this book to their classrooms and really um, took the book and felt passionate about what I uh, presented to students and shared it with them. Well, I wondered if you would take us out with a poem of your own. Oh, yes, of course. I would love to. My Grandmother's Feet. My grandmother slips off her bulky crocs in the evenings and tells the story of her life. Shadows play on the creases and blemishes of her feet. Every scar is a crinkled page. Every mark is a stamp on her everlasting passport. My grandmother's feet are the adventure map of her life. My grandmother's feet are hard work on the farm, working from dawn to dusk, not seeing more than the same gray skies and plain fields, She tells me the story of her, a brave young woman whose spirit called her and whose feet carried her over blossoms of hope to an adventure that she yearned for away from the farm. My grandmother's feet are the volunteer projects she worked in Africa, stacking bricks so they would one day become schoolhouses for kids to learn a world beyond their own. My grandmother's feet are like the mountains she climbed the joints beneath her battered skin, moving like tectonic plates. The mountains are the sculptor of her feet, forever converging. My grandmother's feet are like the Great Wall of China, the pathway of history, painting her feet as if they were terracotta tablets. The carriages from the Ming Dynasty, the clanks of porcelain, the path to the forbidden city. My grandmother's feet are like the artifacts she photographed in Egyptian tombs the Temple of Osiris, the treks throughout the Sahara Desert, the ruins of the world. They are history printing its story. They are journeys scribbled across her ankles. My grandmother's feet are her years of work, her life, not earned by jewels, but by memories. My grandmother's feet are an adventure map of her life. Thank you so much for reading that, Camille. It's such a beautiful poem. And I think what I like about that poem is it's both very particular. I mean, your descriptions are so focused, but it's also universal because most people have a grandma. How connected is this to your grandmother's real life? And did you pull a lot of biography from her own life to pour into this poem? 
Well, actually, I love writing poems about generational stories and wisdom that can be passed down through both families and friends. This poem isn't actually based on personal experience, but instead my interest in this generational um, theme. I'm a volunteer at Alzheimer's San Diego, and I place weekly calls to Alzheimer patients living alone. And we talk about such interesting things, such as the places they travel, their interests, interesting like past career choices, the hobbies, the way they made their own special mark on the world. So my interest in things the different generations have to offer each other actually inspired the poem. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your outreach to that community. And thank you so much for your brilliant work. Her poems, Women Poets Who Changed the World, is the title of the book by Camille Campbell. Camille, thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time talking with you today. You can find out a bit more about Camille Campbell on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up after the break, home-based poetry is back in Phoenix this month as its creator celebrates 30 years of being a poet. I'm Tom Axedon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. On Morning Edition, you get a variety of interesting stories and conversations, deep dives, and breaking news, all available whenever you listen, on the patio, at the gym, on the beach, in the car. The news is not always fun, but with Morning Edition on KJZZ, it is never boring. Listen every day from 5 until 9 on 91.5 at kjzz.org. You have your favorites. Oh, man, my favorite mug. And maybe it's about time to treat yourself to a new favorite. Mugs and t-shirts for you and the family are at shop.kjzz.org. So what are you waiting for? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Home-based poetry began in 2009 as a feel-good way to uplift underserved audiences in the Valley. It's the brainchild of Harold Branch III, who's working on his doctorate at Grand Canyon University and is celebrating 30 years as a spoken word artist. Branch grew up in the Midwest before coming to the Valley. So originally from Chicago, the west side of Chicago, and moved to Arizona to live with my father when I was 16. I stayed for a while, moved to Avondale, went to Australia Mountain, went over to Arizona State University, graduated there. A couple years later, went back to Chicago, um, spent some more time in my early 20s. But after my son turned one and I had one too many winners, it was time to come back to Arizona. <laughs> so I've been back here for the last, my son is 16, last 15 years. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, spent a lot of time there, and I certainly do not miss those winters. <laughs> so how long have you been an avid writer and interested in things poetic? Man, the great thing is just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated my 30th anniversary as a poet and a writer. So I've been doing poetry since I was 14 years old. My uncle used to recite Edgar Allan Poe to me. Uh, when I was a kid, just come home because I grew up with my grandmother, and my aunt and some uncles. And he would come home at night and recite The Raven and Annabelle Lee. I absolutely fell in love with that. He used to recite some Dolomite, too, but I can't recite that on air. Um, <laughs> but, you know, fell in love with it. And it was a few years later um, in my eighth grade English class, started writing it. 
I haven't stopped since. Was it just his voice? Was it the cadence of the poem? What attracted you to that? You know, it was a lot of that. Um, he was so passionate about it. It would take him an hour to get through Annabelle Lee because he would go over it and the meaning of it and the depth of it. When he talked about the Raven, just the flow of it and the rhyme scheme, you know, the once upon a midnight dreary while I ponder weak and weary. And then that flows into this multiple and in-depth rhyme scheme. Um, but it was also the energy of it. To be honest with you, I, I was growing up having a really rough time, had a rough childhood, lost my mother when I was two and separated from my dad as well. Oh, and just the west side of Chicago in the 80s, right? In the 80s and 90s, um, during that really deep crack epidemic. So the darkness almost of Edgar Allan Poe, I saw some beauty in that. And it made me feel a connection. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it does. It's a place where people can go, you know, to escape the world that they, they might be confronted with or a tough situation at a time. Oh, yeah. Do you have experience working with younger kids who might be facing maybe not the same situation, but at least tough times? I mean, we've all been facing tough times the last couple of we years. We all have. Yeah, we all have. It's been rough. You know, when I moved to Arizona, I started working with kids almost immediately, working with my peers and then just continue to that. Um, a lot of suicide prevention work, a lot of love yourself, even through the challenges um, and anger management and life skills and really telling my story because I lost my mother to suicide when I was two years old. So oh, that journey was really intense, obviously, and caused me to go through my own emotional um, challenges and, you know, just addressing mental health and I'm really glad to hear so many people talking about that now because I've been talking about it for the last 30 years um, in the poetry and even to schools and things of that nature um, in different groups. So it's really nice to hear that being spoken about now, but absolutely have done a lot of work with young people throughout the years and continue to um, even as a coach right now, but did a lot with adults as well. You, you'll be amazed how many adults need to get it out. You know, how do you need to get it out their system, especially now? Yeah, I think and one of the ways is sort of therapeutic is to perform, right? You have a lot of experience doing that in front of live audiences. Oh, yeah. What have you got coming up in that vein? Yeah, yeah, man. We've done a lot over the years from National Rock Tours, Woodstock 99. You know, we've had a really, really good time traveling the country with this and spoken word has really exploded. And so home-based poetry after being in the Valley for 13 years, and now we're just coming back. We just did our first show in March. The next one is April 24th, and it's going to be every fourth Sunday. So we're back on a consistent schedule, and the community couldn't be more excited, neither could I. Yeah, it feels good to get out there and have actual in-person events now. I mean, it's nice <laughs> to be, even if we're still masked, face-to-face, -face, so to speak, right? Absolutely, man. We're, we're hungry for it. I've been in school these last couple of years and um, I've just been talking to, to Zoom screens like everybody else. So when we came out, I mean, the smiles on everybody's faces, um, especially in our community, right? In the black community and those who enjoy all things black culture, you know, it's been rough and sometimes it's hard for us to even find venues and things to participate in. But we're seeing a resurgence of that, a lot of good stuff in that community that gives us the opportunity to have that face-to-face -face and that support and emotion, especially in these trying times. We've been so polarized lately. So we need to make sure we feel safe. And that's what a 
term home base came from, right? It's like when they used to play freeze tag and it, and you're running, but when you get your hand on home base, you're safe. So we're here to be that safe place. Where is the event going to be held on the 24th? It's going to be held at Coyote Mexican Cuisine in Phoenix from 5 to 8. Harold, I wondered if you have a poem of your own that you would take us out with. Oh, I would love to. This is a poem I wrote years ago, and it's called Obsessed. I'm the poetic version of Calvin Klein. I have an obsession. I have to have a pen in my possession. My computer is my priest, and I'm constantly in confession. I got papers scattered in every direction. Trying to stop writing is like voting in Florida's last election. Hopeless. I keep a dictionary under my pillow and thesaurus under my mattress so they can catch me sleeping. If I'm not typing, I'm not eating. Me and my poems got to stop meeting like this. I feel like I gave birth to my verse. It even has my likeness. So I write this to express that. I'm obsessed. It's my medicine. So when I'm possessed with ADHD and manic depression, I take a lyrical Prozac and Ritalin, mind filled with adrenaline, brainstorming for random synonyms, thinking well beyond the Benjamins, balancing my masculine and feminine, tasting sweet success like Intamins. My sentences pillages like Genghis Khan did villages. It's hard to fight the militant because when I speak, my uncles reminisce, duel with emotion because my nieces and nephews be feeling this, teaching that they could balance aggression and tenderness and that sex ain't love unless it has a tender kiss. Me not composing is like an organization with no membership. I don't exist. So I persist to breed my pen and paper, trying to rise to my potential like vapor. What I say is sweet because I do it now and later create wow, from paper and like a V pointed to the right. Now I'm greater. West Side Chicago's gang emancipator, Phoenix, Arizona's heat regulator, constantly sacrificing virgin pure ideas to my maker via my pen and paper. I'm obsessed. My heart pumps ink, just acts my chest. Just take a look at my blue veins to discover my true name. Some say I'm insane because I stalk poetry like it had megastar type fame. Put spoken word in a needle. I have tracks like trains, let it infest my brain. Then get to the open mic and overdose on stage in front of everyone with no shame. Yeah, now that's poetry. Thank you, good brother. Harold, that was outstanding, and I feel like it was emblematic of your biography and the conversation that we've had here, just a few short minutes of your time. Harold, thank you so much for coming to Word. I really appreciate you and everything that you're doing. Excellent. No, without a doubt, thank you. And if anybody wants more information, it's homebasedpoetry.com. That'll give them everything they need. Appreciate you, Tom. Harold, take care. Best of luck. All right. Find out a bit more about Harold Branch III and home-based poetry by going to our website, word.kjzz.org. We hope you enjoyed our offerings for National Poetry Month this season. We're back in May with more episodes about literature in Arizona and the region. I'm Tom Maxidon. Thanks so much for supporting Public Radio and listening to KJZZ Original Podcasts. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.